Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're talking today to Marshall Koval. He's the CEO of Luminex Resources, part of Ross Beatty's Lumina Group. Marshall gives us a breakdown of the group and talks about their track record of having raised $175 million, but having returned over $1.5 billion to shareholders. We also get an understanding of what it's like mining in Ecuador, a relatively new jurisdiction for miners. He talks to us about the shareholders and also a breakdown of the corporate structure, which is actually quite impressive. He also finally finishes off explaining the BHP Anglo-American and First Quantum deals. Hi, Marshall. How are you? Good. Good today, Matthew. How about yourself? Not too bad. Now, we spoke back in May. We talked about Lumina Gold back then, but today we're going to be talking about Luminex Resources. So why don't you give us a one-minute summary on that, and then we'll get, it, we'll get stuck into some questions. Yeah, so Luminex Resources uh, was the company we spun out to, in 2018, and uh, basically we've got a large uh, portfolio of assets, earlier stage exploration in Ecuador, a bit different than the, Luminex, the Lumina Gold story, which is a development project. But we've got large-scale exploration properties for copper and gold as well, and then we've got some world-class partners um, that we've JV'd with to do some of the exploration, and we're doing a bit of work ourselves on our Condor project. Right. Well, let's talk about. It. So you're talking. You're referring, of course, to the Lumina Group, right? Uh, so why don't you tell us a bit about that? Because there's a bit of a track record. You've been making money for people. I think you've raised. You told me last time 175 million bucks and returned 1.5 billion to shareholders. So there's a very positive track record. Why don't you kind of give us the highlights? Lumina Group was founded sort of in 2003 by Ross Beatty, who took a view on copper. So uh, went out and acquired a lot of uh, world-class assets and, and it was sort of an option play originally. And as time went on, you know, you control these projects, you have work commitments and basically the long and the short was raised about 175 million, like you mentioned, and returned um, 1.5 billion to to shareholders. So thanks for that summary on the on the group Lumina Group, and obviously with Ross Beatty's involvement, that gives you access to capital and reputation as well. Plus, you obviously have delivered as a management team. But um, with Luminex Resources, um, it's a relatively small market cap right now. It's 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 early days. You're also involved in Lumina Gold. What what's your um, where are you spending most of your time? So uh, right now, it's, it's been about a 50-50 split for me. Um, we're advancing the Lumina Gold Congrejos project uh, towards uh, pre-feasibility studies. So there's a lot of technical engineering work, field work. So I've been working on that. But, but also, I've been front and center on all these deals with um, BHP, Anglo-American, First Quantum that we have joint ventures with, and Ecuador. And right. the combined combined amount of those deals is about 140 million committed to copper exploration sort of between right. 2018 and 2025. Great. Well, let's come on to that in a second. So just to help people understand. So why why have you spun out Luminex Resources from Luminex Gold? They're both gold companies. Yeah. So basically, um, our philosophy is we're exploration development group. Um, we tend to try to acquire large scale projects like the Congrejos project in Lumina Gold. And basically, the idea is to add value, de-risk these, and move these on to um, somebody that would build the projects. It, it's basically the same model as Lumina Copper. 
So what we had is when Ecuador opened up their concession system and granted new concessions, we acquired, even though we were a gold company, we acquired quite a few copper early stage exploration projects. So by spinning Luminex out, we have a core asset in the Condor project, which has about 1.4 million ounces of gold and indicated about 2.5 and inferred. But we also had these uh, early stage copper exploration projects. So rather than going to the market and, and diluting um, our shareholders, we went and did JVs with uh, three major companies to explore uh, these copper assets. Let's get into that, because I, I can see Condor, Turkey, Pegasus, and Orchideas. Uh, do you want to tell us, do you want to break those down? Just kind of what each one involves, what your commitments are, and what do you, what do you think you're trying to do? Because I think what our audience is really interested in is what you're thinking, what your strategy is, what are your plans for these? Because I, I get that you're an explorer developer and then you, you know, you move, you move things off or partner with other people to produce. So if, if you don't mind. Yeah, so the, these copper assets, were we were pretty op opportunistic. We had a lot of information um, in Ecuador, and when the concession system auction came up, we acquired all these projects, Tarki, Pegasus, Orchidius, and Cascas. And then we did initial work ourselves. We have a, a team of over 20 geologists in Ecuador, so we did a lot of the, the basic exploration work beyond what was already known about these projects. And we advanced them to the point where um, we actually didn't go out and solicit companies to do deals. This was all inbound. So uh, the first deal we did was with First Quantum on Arcadius and Cascas. Right now, First Quantum is in the field. We're the operator of the project, but working closely with First Quantum. We've got five drill holes in and about 1,500 meters of drilling so far. So that deal with First Quantum, they have to spend $38.5 million over five years to earn 51%. And they can earn an additional 19% uh, if there's a discovery and, and they carry us to a production decision. So they can, they can earn up to 70%, um, you know, subjects then pay, paying up for that and obviously getting through to construction. Um, but, but what's in it for you? I mean, obviously they're paying your, your, your OPEX, but and you'll get 30% of this thing, but 30% of what? Yeah, so if there's a, if there, there's two deposits, the Orchidius, which is being drilled now, and that's to the north, and then the Coscos to the south. And these are large copper uh, anomalies, you know, we've identified with geochem and, and geophysics, and they're about five kilometers by two, two kilometers, three kilometers wide, both of them. So basically, if there's a major discovery, um, and, and these are straight copper projects, no gold. Then we've got the potential, and, and with Ross's involvement in our group, if there's a major discovery, um, we could participate in the 30% um, if it gets to construction, or we have the option to uh, sell out that portion. You know, there's a lot of groups, uh, a lot of the Japanese companies uh, like Sumitomo, for instance, that um, would look at buying a 30% interest in a major copper mine. So it gives us uh, leverage to the upside is, is basically the idea with all right. these. So explain those numbers then. So First Quantum put in 38.5 over the next five years, they get 51%. Are you putting in any additional cash? No, no, they have to, it's a straight earn in uh, JV. So after they spend the 38.5, they earn the 51% in the JV company. And then um, if they advance it through pre-fees, feasibility study and construction, 
um, were carried for the next 19%. And then when you get to 70%, that's when we would have to put our pro rata in. Right, okay, so, so that's great optionality for you on, on that deal. So that was the first deal. Let's, let's go to the second deal. Yeah, so Anglo-American is, is a bit different approach. So on the first quantum deal, it was specific, two specific deposits that had been identified. Anglo um, took a broader scale. So the Pegasus A and B is our largest land uh, position in Ecuador. And let me just say this, we're the second largest concession holder in Ecuador. And the Pegasus A and B is the largest concession that we have. So we have about 135,000 hectares of mineral concessions and Pegasus is about 65,000 hectares. So Anglo's view is a bit different. They're looking at a broader regional district sort of scale. Um, there's copper porphyry and some gold uh, showings that uh, we've identified in the area. So Anglo's approach is more systematic, broader regional scale exploration. So the deal we have with Anglo is uh, 57, they have to spend 57.3 million over seven years. They earn 60% and they can earn an additional 10% if they carry us to a construction decision. So right now they're in the process of a lot of field uh, uh, geochemical work. They're getting ready to fly a geophysical survey over the entire land package to look at uh, you know, perspective terrain. And so that's basically the Anglo deal. We're really right. excited to have both these and BHP too as partners. Yeah. Well, yeah, I bet, I bet. That one, access to capital, but uh, two, it's, you know, the, the, these are names that people trust as well. So it lends uh, some, well, some level of comfort to investors, right? Um, okay, so that's a slightly earlier stage project, but, but again, because we're talking about seven years to, for this earning period, and then you've got BHP. So BHP is a deal we just closed in the in the last uh, month, and uh, basically BHP. Uh, so let me back up. Anglo is the operator on the Anglo deal. First Quantum Luminex is the operator, and on the Tarkey project, BHP is the operator. And and Tarkey's in the area of Mirador, um, which is a, a copper mine that's in construction right now. So it's in a highly prospective copper belt. And this is a, a small land package compared to the other ones, but uh, BH, we made a discovery out there and it, it looks pretty promising. It's some of the best copper terrain uh, that we've found in Ecuador through the work that we've done. So basically the deal with BHP is they have to spend 42 million over six years to earn 60%. And um, after that, they can earn an additional 10% by spending another 40 million. And, and that should take you roughly through um, a feasibility study uh, if there's a discovery there. So basically that's the idea is these are large targets, large anomalous areas that we found in the field. And we're putting off risk to these first class partners to advance these projects. And then, right. so that that leaves us, our, pri our primary focus after these three partnerships is our Condor project in, um, most of these assets with, are in southern, southeastern um, Ecuador. The only one that's up in the central area is Anglo-American. And, you know, you can see all of our holdings on uh, slide number five. Uh, you can see where, where these different uh, properties are in the country. But let me just go back to Luminex. So we uh, we just announced uh, high high grade discovery at Luminex and or at Condor. Sorry, 
And Condor is interesting because it's a, a large land package. The northern part of the um, property is uh, epithermal gold deposit, and the southern part is gold copper porphyry. And we just made a high-grade discovery at the camp zone, and you know we've drilled um, four holes into it now. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. We put a couple of press releases out in the last month or two, and we can get into some details on that lately. So right now we have one drill at Condor and, and we're drilling at Condor, but um, we think we made a significant discovery beyond the known resources that had been reported to date there. So these are, these are all relatively early stage projects in, in the scheme of things, um, you know, there's, you know, with, hence the market cap, your market cap is quite low. And I guess the BHP explains the bump in the share price this month. Um, you, you, you know, you went from 70 to 90, I think 92 today. Um, so these partnerships that you've been creating, how long did they take to actually come to fruition? How long did these conversations last? You know, these are big companies and these are complicated deals because basically you're structuring an earn-in agreement, royalty agreements, um, JV agreements, and assuming that you, you know, have a producing property. So there's a lot of paper and there's a lot of negotiations involved, but generally they've sort of taken sort of nine months to 12 months to go from initial interest to negotiation to closing um, the properties. But I want to add one thing on the, it isn't just the uh, these deals that helped move the share price recently. I think okay. the uh, discovery we made at Condor at the camp zone has also uh, helped move the, the share price as well. Well, it being what? Uh, so basically what we announced were three drill holes in, in the camp zone area. And to give you an idea, these are near surface sort of um, near surface uh, outcrops. Um, and then we drilled down to sort of 200, 300 meters. And to give you an example, in the first drill hole we drilled, we had a true width interval of 30 meters. That was 4.77 grams per ton gold. And um, the second hole we drilled, um, it was a similar sort of thing, 25 meters at um, 2.49 gold. And within that, there was an interval of 9.6 meters of uh, six gram gold. So, you know, if you look at um, the mineralization there, um, it's pretty wide zones and it, it's, it's got some similar aspects to mineralization that we see up at Fruta del Norte. And so we just announced a third hole and that had 25 meter true width of four and a half grams per ton gold. So these are, um, structures that outcrop at the surface and um, you know we've been able to can to define them down to a depth of 200 300 meters so right now we're drilling those and i think that's a um, this discovery has a lot of momentum that can potentially um, move the share price if we continue to have success there how much of your market cap would you attribute to the the deals you've done with first quantum angler and bhp versus your own project how would you break that down? You know, obviously there's optionality to the resources that we have. You know, we have roughly 4 million ounces of gold at, at Condor. Um, again, it's it's exploration stage, sort of advanced exploration, not development. But I think um, it, it's really hard to break it down. But I think if you look at when we first announced um, 
the deal with BHP, the share price moved up to about 85% or 85 cents, and then the market settled back down. And I think most of the run, the 70 to 92, had more to do with um, the camp zone. So, you know, maybe we're seeing um, about half of our value from the Condor asset and maybe the other half uh, from these JVs. Uh, it's a hard thing to pin down, but that that would be my guess. Okay. And any more deals aren't coming through? Any no, more you know, we, well, we continue to get inbound interest. And, and it's kind of interesting. I think what's happened in Ecuador is, you know, as we all know, it's, it's sort well, of... Tell us about Ecuador. Tell us about Ecuador, okay? Because it's a relatively new mining jurisdiction, right? It's mostly agriculture. So how have you been getting on? Yeah, I mean, there's been some historical mining in, in primarily for gold in areas like Saruma and and other parts of the country. But basically, the country had a moratorium on new concessions being offered um, in 2008. Mm. And basically, they had punitive uh, fiscal regimes. So that kind of shut the industry down. And, and I think it hit the bottom basically in 2014 when Kinross decided to back out of the uh, Fruta del Norte deal. And, you know, that was a world-class uh, gold project. And I think the, uh, what the, the government had was a budget of about $100 a barrel oil. They primarily been oil producer was most of the economy besides agriculture. And when that happened, um, you know, when gold, or oil went down to sort of 40, 50 bucks in that range, it really blasted the economy of the country. And Correa was the uh, president at the time, and he was actually the guy that shut down mining. And he realized that he needed to um, open mining back up because they needed foreign direct investment. And that was the best opportunity to get it. So if you fast forward, this was sort of 2014, things started opening up. We were in uh, in the country around 2013, thinking that things were gonna get better, looked at a lot of stuff worked with the government to tell them that they needed to um, improve their fiscal regime. And so after the Kinross deal collapsed, Lundin uh, Gold acquired Fruta del Norte, and Lundin and, and several other companies pushed on the government to get a better fiscal regime. So as we sit today, the fiscal regime is workable. What does that mean? What's it mean Are we, in terms of tax, royalties, et cetera? Basically, if you look at um, the sort of effective tax rate in in the region, you know, a country like Chile is has got the best fiscal regime, and it's sort of 38 to 40 uh, percent of of the uh, rents, if you like to call it that, of a project go to the government. If you go up to Peru, it's sort of um, 45 um, in that range, and Ecuador's up around the 50 percent, right? So basically. That change from sort of this, you know, windfall taxes, 70%, um, and a lot of other issues that Ecuador had, Ecuador was probably up in the, the mid-60s. So the, the fiscal changes that they made sort of made it so that the major mining companies, guys like BHP, First Quantum, um, Anglo-American, a uh, lot Newcrest, a lot of other players um, have come into the country and, and they're comfortable enough with the fiscal regime to invest. Uh, actually, what, sorry, just, just, just so quickly on that, you, you took the Minister for Mines recently to Australia, did you not? Uh, yeah, he was, we didn't do it ourselves, but he was over. Was that with, New, was that with Newcrest? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. 
Right. Okay. Okay. I just know. So you mentioned Newcrest there, and I noticed that he'd been to one of their um, the big. I can't quite remember the name of the project, but he, I think they were. He was looking at something to sort of understand the scale and scope of what this could become in his country. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, can we just talk about shareholders, please? I know you've mentioned Ross Beattie. Obviously, you've been working with him a long time. You guys made a lot of money for yourselves, but also shareholders. What, what's, the, what's the breakdown here for Luminex? Uh, who, who's in it? Yeah, so if you, if you look on page six, that kind of gives you the stock info. Um, sure, but it doesn't tell me who. If you look at management and insiders, we have about 24% of the company. Mm -hmm. Ross has 15.4% uh, himself. Mm. Um, I've got it right around 4% and then the balance is the rest of the management team. But yeah. also we have uh, some institutions that have come into our last financing. We have guys where that- are they, Where are they from? Uh, mainly in, in the US. Okay, US. And, and also um, there was some in Dubai. But uh, basically what we have is we have a group of uh, friends and family that have followed Ross and the group for quite a while. So if you look at it from that perspective, we pretty much know where probably about 50% 50, 50 of the, the stock is, is pretty close to the group. Right, but the rest of it is Canadian retail? Canadian retail in US. You know, we just recently listed on the OTCQX. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. Has that made a difference? You know, we see a lot more activity in the U.S. and the, and the U.S. has always always been important. Um, you know, two of the uh, the funds that have come in in pretty substantial ways into both Lumina Gold and and uh, Luminex are California based, so that's an important aspect for us. Right. And what are you doing with the? I mean, you got to you got to kind of move move it kind of up. Uh, we need more volume. We need more liquidity. Need more trading. Hence, hence OTC, I guess. But what, what else are you doing to kind of get this promoted? Because I know when we spoke last about Luminex Gold, you were starting a process. I mean, how's it, how, how are you doing that with Luminex and Lumina? Yeah, so, so Luminex, um, you know, given that there's about 50% that we know of that's sort of long-term um, investors with the group mm -hmm. and the story, um, that doesn't leave a lot of free float out in the markets. Okay. So one of the things we're doing quite a bit is we're marketing in Europe, um, the US and Canada, and, and we're targeting sort of the retail investors. I think that's gonna be an important aspect um, going forward. And also we've seen some, some funds that we're buying in the market. You know, we just completed uh, a financing and you know, right now we have about 7.5 million in cash on hand so we're cashed up pretty good to uh, move things forward so we're not out marketing looking to raise money but we're continuously scott um, scott hicks and myself are continuously uh, working with investors and we have a large focus on the retail investors now so and, and what does that mean when you say you've got a large focus on retail but what does that mean to you what, what are you doing are you going to conferences are you doing press releases We've done a lot of town halls and it, it's kind of interesting and it's mainly focused um, on retail investors and we've got a pretty broad reach it's not just the u.s canada but we're, we're seeing investors in europe participate in these and you know we've had um you know over 100 people at a time and so we're reaching out continuously like that. And, you know, we're going to conferences, like we're at the Sprott conference in Vancouver next week, and um, we have a booth there. And, and so we're, we're really trying to get the story out as broadly as we can. 
because I think we're still in the early stages here. And, and you know, obviously every CEO you're going to talk to is going to tell you that his stock's undervalued. But I think there's real, even with the move up into the 90 cent range, we still have, you know, sort of a 47, $48 million market cap. And any one of these projects um, we have significant uh, success on, we'll see a substantial move from this point. Where do you see the value coming in? Okay, you, you've got some big names associated. They're spending, nearest down at 140 million bucks on, on some projects for you. Um, you'll still be left with a reasonable chunk of, chunk of the companies or the projects after that. But how much of this is Ross's company and how much is the board actually doing in terms of making decisions? Because I look at Anfield Gold, obviously that's gone into Equinox along with a couple of other projects uh, for you know to create a, a super project, 800 million market cap for Ross there and Equinox. Um, Lumina Gold sitting around 170, 180 million bucks market cap today, Luminex. 3540 okay so is it a case of you you take these things through following a plan or are you because of the nature of the, your business explorer developer you're a little bit more free flowing than that it's a case of other opportunities to maximize value how do you how do you think about that yeah i think the value drivers for us in, in luminex is going to be exploration success adding uh, resources and making discoveries you know so a good example of that would be the discovery at the camp zone. It was never drilled. It was, it's right underneath our camp at Pondor. Geologists from several companies, I mean, this project's been around since the 80s, trampled over the area. And, um, you know, we had one of our geologists um, see some interesting rocks in a road cut and started to focus in doing work. He did sampling and trenching work. So it was a brand new discovery. And, you know, the drilling results that I mentioned to you earlier, um, we have a discovery there. Now, um, given the, the size of it, you could have a, the potential for a million, two million ounce deposit. It does, it does create value, but I'm more interested in the decision making. Like, so Ross Beattie, big guy, big name, you know, reputation, he's got access to capital, all that good stuff, right? With Anfield, rather than grow it yourself, it was a question of, well, we could, or I can roll it into something over here. I mean. What do the shareholders of Anfield get out of the Equinox deal? Yeah, so I'm on the board of Equinox with Ross and, right. and several other board members. So that was a deal where, you know, we had the Coringa deposit and we had some other assets. And at the end of the day, um, Coringa turned out to be a small project that'll be a mine someday. But, you know, there's there's a management issue. It takes as much effort to manage a small operation like that as it does a big project. So the idea there was um, Anfield was going to be the vehicle we used to build a gold production company. That's what Ross wanted to do. But at the end of the day, Ross put a deal together with that formed Equinox, and we had about 50 million cash in, um, in uh, Anfield. And the idea there was to take the assets, um, the Arizona mine, which is a brownfield site in uh, Brazil, and the Castle Mountain or the Castle Mountain project in California, and advance those. And, and so Equinox became that vehicle instead of Anfield. And you know today we've got two producing mines in Equinox, and we've got a third mine, Castle Mountain, that's going to be put into production soon. So. That was that was the idea and that was a producing story so if you go back to your question about the board 
So we have a pretty sophisticated board, you know, um, myself and John Wright um, handle a lot of the technical aspects and John's the ex um, president of Pan American Silver. You know, he's a technical guy. He's on the uh, board of uh, Silvercrest and Arrow Copper. And um, Dave Farrell, for instance, he's a capital markets guy. He's on the board of Fortuna. Don Shumka is on the board and, you know, he's uh, experienced uh, audit committee guy, he's ex-Ray J, he's been on the board of several large mining companies. And then we have Lyle Broughton, who's our uh, government of, um, attorney and he's involved in government. And so basically the mandate of the board is, um, let's try to maximize the value that we have in these assets. Let's go out and explore, let's find projects, let's advance those projects. Um, and, you know, that's measured advancing these projects by de-risking them and moving them along towards the development chain. So if you look at the Condor project, for instance, um, with this recent discovery, we're planning on drilling 2,300 meters here. Um, we're having a second drill rig come to site. And, and if that starts to pan out, then we start to look at this thing as a development project and put it on the path towards a PEA. Right. So, so that's that's where value will be created, besides just outright discovery. So then, if you look at the copper portfolio, the BHP, the Anglo American, and the um, first quantum deals, that's that's going to be large scale copper porphyry deposit discovery if it happens. And, and given the perspective terrain, you know, we'll think out of those those deals that you'll see some sort of major discovery. At least that's what we're hoping for. So, so how do you guys how do you guys pay yourselves? How do you remunerate, reward yourselves, incentivize yourselves? Because you know, you've only got fifty two million shares here. So how's that so, work? So when you look at it, you know the board doesn't get paid. Um, we get options. The option grants are, are pretty modest. Um, you know. So no salary, no salary. Not for the board. No. Um, wow. Myself and the management team that run the company day to day um, get a salary. But but if you look on page six there, for instance, issued in outstanding shares, you know, we got 52 million after this last financing. If you look at it on a fully diluted basis, it's 55 million. And, and we don't do warrants. We'll do a discount to market financing. So basically, there's not a lot of dilution. Um, and like I say, we're we're tight on options. So really, um, the upside in these financings, most of the management team participate in the financings and they have all the way through the various ones we've done, both in Lumina uh, Gold. At market. At market, well, at, yeah, at market along with the other investors, right? You see, this is what fascinates me about some companies. They just get it right. You say, you don't have many shares out. What you're saying is the cost of your money is cheaper than most. You don't you don't need to do warrants, so you don't do warrants. Okay, you've got a, a, a I imagine a rolodex to use an old terminology from from you know your previous days where you know, you talk about money from Dubai, talking about money from California. You got the institutions. They all know Ross BD. They know your management team, right? So you're not paying more than you need to. And this is really important for funding a company. Let me take that to the next level because we have an anti-dilutive mindset. And obviously when you're an exploration group and you don't have um, income from operations, you rely on the capital markets to finance as you go. But um, this last financing, we were oversubscribed by more than a million and a half dollars. And um, 
we didn't want to go there. So we cut it back and, and our philosophy is don't go out to the markets and raise any more money that you need. Given the, the success of the group, uh, obviously with Ross's leadership there, we have the ability to finance uh, when we need to. So we try to um, we try to minimize shareholder dilution. And yeah. like I said earlier, management and board members all participate in the financing. And um, you know, Ross Ross is usually the lead uh, order um, yeah. when we do a financing. So so that's a pretty strong message to the market. It's interesting. It's a fantastic message to the market. And then on top of that, the types of deals that you've recently done with uh, obviously first Quantum Anglo and P BHP in terms of funding projects and leaving yourself with a m meaningful position at the end of it. That's also great news for investors in terms of optionality. Um, okay, fant fant fantastic on the on the money and the remuneration side of things. Um, you've talked you've talked to us about uh, Ecuador and mining in Ecuador. What do you do you think that the retail market understand the Ecuador story because most people don't know it. And if I'm looking at the chat rooms, forums, you know, various social media, there's not a lot of talk about you. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, we've been through. Um, so if you look at the Lumina, Lumina Copper story, you know, Ross took a view back in um, sort of 2003 that copper at the time was 85 cents. It was going to go to two bucks. So he went out and, and he acquired 10 really solid assets in mining friendly jurisdictions. And, you know, so in the initial days, it was pretty quiet. And um, they went out and acquired these projects. And, and we were in a building stage with both Lumina Gold and, and then when we spun Luminex out. So we've flown in the investor market a bit under the radar as we kind of consolidated things. Now we've sort of consolidated our, our land position in Ecuador. Um, the majors have come in and, and they have to do deals with groups like ourselves because all of the highly prospective properties in the country are in some junior um, ownership. Um, you know, so basically what you have is um, a lot of these companies have to come to, to us, right? So basically we've been quiet because we've been in the building stage. Now, now the, the stories change, you know, we're, we've got our position, we've got good prospects, we've got funding in place. We, do, we put off a lot of exploration risk on these major companies that are really good technically that can move our projects forward. We can focus on Condor. We also have three other projects, uh, one called Kimi Tres Picachos in La Canela that are copper plays that we're doing, continue to do early stage exploration work. So, you know, we're, we're in a really good position um, to, to move forward and not dilute the shareholders. I mean, if all these JVs go through and $140 million is spent on these projects and there's discoveries, um, we would have diluted the hell out of our company to raise that kind of money to do it ourselves. No, I think, I think, I think it's smart. Uh, and obviously, mining copper, mining gold, similar skill sets, you've got all the relevant skill sets you need in-house. Um, why don't you finish off and tell us, uh, give, give investors and retail investors, new investors, reasons that Ecuador is a good place to be and why you think the way that you've structured these deals is going to work. Yeah, so listen, Ecuador um, is the last kind of unexplored geologically significant terrain um, 
in Latin America and probably the world. So there hasn't been a lot of systematic um, exploration in Ecuador because basically with the, the moratorium that happened in 2008, um, Ecuador sat out the majority of the super cycle that we went through and um, basically it was shut down for business. Now it's open for business um, from a political risk perspective. I think the best uh, indication that it's uh, a viable jurisdiction is that all these major mining companies have started to come into the country. There's two mines that will be put into production by the end of this year. You know, Fruta del Norte is one and then Mirador is the other, and Mirador is owned by Tongling Mining as the operator and, and a partner. And Tongling is, a, or Mirador is a large copper porphyry deposit, and Fruta del Norte that Lundin Gold has is a large uh, underground gold deposit. So the, the perspective nature of Ecuador has come to fruition with these projects being built. And there's a significant pipeline of, of discoveries in the country. Um, the Congrejos work that we're doing, Sol Gold has uh, a real good project, and there, there's a lot of interest. So Ecuador is now uh, a mining jurisdiction, and and there's growing pains that go with it. Um, you know, both the government's learning, um, the communities dealing with the communities, we're we're educating communities along the way. So so that's um, part of the story, but. It's geologically, it's great exploration. I'm explorationist by, uh, by training, and uh, I haven't seen as much perspective ground anywhere else in the world that hasn't been systematically explored. Right. So then if you go for the reasons that it makes sense for Luminex within the country, you know, we've got $140 million of non-dilutive financing coming from our partners. And, um, you know, we have four, 4,000 or 4 million ounces of gold on the books already at Condor. And we've made a major discovery at, at the camp zone. And, and then like you were talking about before, we've, we've got a management team that's been there, done this before. Um, you know, our business strategy is to add value to these assets, not be the producer, move them on to somebody to put them into production and, and then exit. So if you look at the Lumina copper story, that's where shareholders, you know, did really well um, when we exited these companies successively. So we've got the ability to finance. Um, we've got the technical team. We've got a really strong in-country team in Ecuador. So I think we'll be successful in advancing these projects. And, and I'm really excited about the prospects in Ecuador. Okay. So that said, you need liquidity in the business. You need a bit more turnover, kind of drive this price up. Um, what type of investor are you looking for? Listen, I think we're looking for the investors that understand the high-risk nature in Luminex of exploration. I think, um, and they understand being patient that discoveries uh, will, re will reward shareholders. And so I think we're still, um, we started to see a positive gold move recently. Um, you know, when we went into the country, a lot we were looking at sort of uh, $1,100, $1,200 gold. We're up in the $1,400 range now. Um, we haven't seen uh, junior equities like ourselves move up as much as the gold price recently as, as kind of a general rule. So I think we're still at an early investment stage that as um, if a shareholder comes in and as we de-risk these projects, makes more discoveries, 
um, we should see upward movement uh, in a positive gold price environment. Plus also we have the optionality on copper. Yep. And do you, do you think um, liquidity and volume correlate with long-term holders? I think if you look at free flow to the stock, um, we do have a lot of long-term long-term holders, and and that's why you don't see large volumes. I mean, if we hit three three hundred thousand shares trading in a day, that's pretty good. So, the liquidity issue is is definitely um, something that puts a bit of a lid on on the upward movement right now. But positive news will move the stock, and and the more we reach out and get the story out to the broader retail base institutions, um, we should see things improve. You, you may have to consider issuing more stocks soon, huh? <laughs> yeah, but but that that's the issue that we were talking about earlier, that non-dilutive yeah. mindset. Um, but you're, you're right. So at you, some point, you got to break free, right? You're yeah. Gonna have to, you're going to have to do it when you're in a bit more control, I guess. Yeah. Right. Okay, um, Marshall, thanks very much for the update. Fantastic news, appreciate your time. Um, do stay in touch and let us know how it's going. Yeah, enjoy the weather out there, Matthew. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.